0: and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond. And today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus, which is an all-access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or You've watched us grow from humble beginnings. We're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back, check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education. And our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interviewed to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. This is episode number 422 with Michael Bostic and Lauren Evitz Bostic of The Founder Podcast. What you need is
1: thirst. You need to be a thirsty
0: human who is intent on learning. It's
1: a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 Now,
2: the Founder Podcast, even the greatest entrepreneurs had help.
0: Today, we're speaking to the superpower team behind Dear Media and the Skinny Confidential. Lauren Bostic is a mom, a mogul, and an all-round social media superstar. With an expert eye for branding, Lauren is in a league of her own, and has used new media to become a household name in beauty and skincare. She works collaboratively alongside her equally impressive entrepreneur husband, Michael, who's the founder of podcast conglomerate Dear Media, which hosts over 50 podcasts fronted by top-tier names in various industries. Dear Media has amassed more than 60 million followers across all social channels and incorporates a 360-degree business model. The husband and wife duo are taking their media empire to new heights and are here to share how they built two largely impactful brands from the ground up. Please welcome to the podcast, Michael Bostic and Lauren Evarts Bostic. The first question I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today?
2: Oh my gosh. Um, I was attending college and I was asked to join a sorority. I was very, very broke. And they told me it was $800 to join the sorority. And I quit the day of, I did not have that money. And I saw white space. This is, this is 13 years ago. I said, okay, how can I create this, but do it online and do it better and do it for free? And at the time bloggers were blogging about what they were wearing and their nail polish color and their mascara brand. And I was like, wait, how can I do this and not just make it about me? How can I make it about other people's too? I want their secrets and tips on the blog. And that's how the skinny confidential was born. Michael at the time he can go into his story was doing something completely different than the digital online space. I launched the blog, did not make a dime for three years and blog seven days a week. After three years, it's it start, people started to really notice it and it, it became um, a very well-known blog. And then as I went on and we can get into this, I started to see that the audience was craving more intimacy and so did Michael. And so we were drunk in Cabo off margaritas, ginger margaritas. And he said, let's launch a podcast. And from there, you know, it's turned in, into two books, it's turned into a product line, and we do this podcast eight times a month, which is really exciting. And it's so funny because it's very much the slight edge. We're still interviewing other people and telling their stories, just like I did 13 years ago.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, I was just talking to some of my partners today and I was thinking about my resume and there's really no linear path as to, or any reason as to why I should be doing what I'm doing now. We've hosted, obviously, our podcast, Now the Skinny Confidential, him and her, for a little over six years. I've done about 500 episodes with all sorts of different walks of life. Um, And from that podcast and the success, we launched, or I launched this business called Dear Media, which is probably now the largest female marketplace in audio with close to 100 shows under the umbrella. We've incubated some brands. We've invested in commerce businesses. But yeah, it all started from this nugget of an idea, which was the Skinny Confidential blog back in a time when people didn't know if you could monetize online before the term influencer even existed. And then doing this podcast as a labor of love side hustle, just kind of head down nose to the grindstone and, you know, one foot in front of the other every day, just continuing to build and, you know, it's stemmed some incredible business opportunities since.
0: Yeah, no, look, it's been crazy what you guys have been able to do. And like, let's be honest, there's a lot of people that start podcasts, right? There's a lot of podcasts out there. Even, I remember I started the founder podcast, what? around five years ago, so no, no dissimilar to you guys around the same time. And there were a lot of podcasts back then. And now, if you look five years later, it seems like everyone has a podcast. So I'd love to know kind of how long did it take to get traction?
2: You're an OG. That is a long time too. You've been in the space. You understand that. Being a podcaster is a real recipe. You have to have a lot of different elements. It's not something that is Flat. it's an onion. You have to love to listen. You have to be curious. You have to ask interesting questions. It can't be the person's PR pitch. No one, no one cares. Like that's boring. It has to go deeper. You have to have guests on that have a story. And I also think that you have to be outspoken and be able to be vulnerable. There's a lot of people that I know that are influencers that have launched podcasts and they're unwilling to share their life. And I think with Michael and I, are, are, uh, out of all the things we do with Instagram and the blog and books, and even him as a businessman, where we thrive is oversharing on a mic.
1: Well, and to answer your question, like how long did it take to pop? I, always, I mean, now I sit in an interesting seat where I still host a show eight times a month with my wife, and we've, ne- we've never missed a week ever. I think consistency is one of the key formulas if you're going to do something like this, as you know. But I sit in the seat where I'm talking to a lot of aspiring podcasters now running Dear Media. And i tell them hey if you're jumping in because everyone's doing a podcast and you think you're going to be the next caller daddy the next joe rogan the next whoever by doing this for 25 episodes you're sadly mistaken right like it took lauren and i maybe two years to really get any kind of notice i mean especially in those days when people said what the hell is a podcast what are you doing we used to have to create videos on social showing people that they actually had a podcast app on their phone so now, obviously, it's the flavor of the week and everyone's talking about it. But back then, people really kind of thought we were kind of crazy for spending so much time doing this. Um, but, you know, it's one of those mediums where as it starts to catch fire and as people start to really get into the shows, um, there's exponential growth of the people that are able to stick through it and actually provide valuable content to that end listener. Yeah.
0: And when did you guys know that you're onto to something?
1: Honestly, and, and this is not even being arrogant from the very beginning, um, I felt... And I think Lauren felt very compelled to create in this space. I think the reason we had the staying power is selfishly still to this day, we would do this podcast for free, right? Like we get to meet so many interesting people. It's created so many opportunities outside of just the world of audio and business. Um, Just the people you're going to meet, the things you get to learn. So um, I knew of all the different types of content that lauren had created the businesses that i've been involved in the type of engagement we were seeing from the people that are listening just was it was different right like people were really um taking to the show and i knew okay if we could just continue to engage with this audience in the way that we're doing and it continues to grow like there's going to be something massive here which i think has proven since
2: i also think our goal has always been build brand it's not necessarily like where's the money? You know, that, that hasn't been our intention. Our intention has been to build brand, but then additionally put the audience first. And I think those two things we knew, like Michael said, we're, we were on to something. And I think it's also people are attracted to the him and her perspective. Um, but also putting the guest on a, on a pedestal as well. Like there's something that just really works. Um, and we really, really know who our listener is. Like we could, we could tell you like, what what they're listening to for music and what color their nail polish is like we're very very in tune with who's listening and i think we know who we're speaking to
0: and how did you guys work that out
2: as far as how we know who it is
0: yeah like how would you work out like intimately your audience and and your listeners so well
1: it was built so it started as like kind of this ask him and her perspective and it was built by the audience Filtering and you know asking the questions that they wanted answered by us. You know how to be in a great relationship. You know how to take care of yourself. How do you build an online business? How do you scale that business? So it really started with us providing the content not necessarily from what we wanted to talk about but what from what from they wanted us to talk about and over the years you know we've maintained that really close connection you know we're not only sharing the podcast on the audio channels but we're going into social we're sharing the newsletter we're seeing what they're listening to we're watching the analytics and seeing okay which guests do they respond really well to which topics which categories and then giving them more of what they're asking for i think so many podcasters make a mistake where they don't put the audience first. They either put themselves first, the guests, the brand, like we really put the audience first and know that by doing so, they're going to support us in return by listening and sharing and and growing.
2: I also think there's something to be said too about when I started the blog, I made a pact to myself to respond to all the comments for one hour in the morning and one hour at night. And I stood by that for like nine years until it stopped working because I, I had to I had to say no more instead of yes. And so I kind, of, I, I kind of just took a little bit of a step back and I did a half an hour in the morning and a half an hour at night. But, and I still do that to this day, 13 years later. And it's almost like this direct connection with them because I'm able to like text and DM and email and engage in Facebook groups or whatever it is and really, really talk to who's listening. And I can't think of a lot of times in history where you've had access to literally the person who's consuming your content on such a massive scale.
0: Mm, that's special. And as the the podcast has grown and the media network has grown and the podcast network has grown, like how do you find the time to prioritize that? Cause like many, many founders would kind of go, okay, well that, you know, I, I can do other things that are much more scalable.
2: I think for like for me, um, I'm number one, a creator, and I can't create what I want to create without the community. And so the community to me is a priority. I also think that if you want to launch product, there's a lot of people that just white label product and they don't have an audience. I prefer to do it the opposite way. It's like create the community, let the community build the product, make a community driven product and then launch it. And I think it's just sort of flipping the the way people do things upside down and disrupting the space. Yeah,
1: I, in terms of scalability as a founder, like I I actually think a lot of founders make a mistake where they get away from the thing that actually makes them successful and makes them scalable. So, I'll give you an example. This show has been critical in being able to first sign the first handful of shows. You know, Lauren and I sat down and interviewed a bunch of the women that we signed in the beginning of Dear Media. Um, in addition to that, the growth of this show has this effect where if people know about the Skinny Confidential and there's a giant Dear Media logo on the front of it, and it says Dear Media at the front, and then the other shows, there's this network effect that people say, okay, well, that show has had some success. Maybe I need to bring my show there, or maybe I need to listen to some other shows they may have. So it, I almost feel like they work hand in hand. Lauren and I do this show so consistently, not only because we love it and enjoy it and you know continue to want a podcast, but also... It has this effect where it continues to actually benefit the other businesses dear media the skinny confidential the product line it gives us more audience members more talent coming to the network more opportunities to invest and co-invest in brands incubate brands Um, and it really kind of stems from this thing that continues to grow exponentially
0: yeah no look it's really clever it's so impressive what you guys have done in the speed in which you've done it as well right like i know i know we say you know it's been a long time 12 13 years since starting the blog to now but still like. It's really impressive, and and you guys like, you know, you've got a massive community. So I'd love to talk a little bit more about how. What are some other things you've done to cultivate that community? So, like Lauren, it sounds like you're still very in the weeds with the group, uh, in with your community, really in the front lines. What other things can founders do or people do if they are starting a podcast, if they are starting a media brand to really cultivate that community?
2: I think that one of the things that has worked well for us is it can't just be the Lauren Everett's and Michael Bostick show that gets boring. It's one dimensional. And so what Michael and I have tried to do with dear media is bring other talent up. And with that comes all different communities that you can like sort of like leverage and merge together. And you can get, you know, maybe we have the bitch Bible podcast and we can go on her podcast and she can come on ours. And then we can sort of mix communities and i think that's really worked well for us. i think make i think it can get stale when there's an influencer that it's just again what she's wearing, what what lipstick color. It's like you can only talk about yourself for so long. So when we bring people on the podcast, we can elevate them and showcase what they're about and their story, but then with Dear Media, we can also have the opportunity to bring up other talent. And that is, I think, really what has been the big difference between what we've done is we've been able to like really take these podcasters who are just starting and have real talent and and pump them out to this community. That's been really rewarding.
1: I'll use a bar analogy, too, that I was just thinking as you were talking. You know, you see a lot of young guys go to a bar and they get fascinated with, you know, maybe a girl they're pursuing and they, they focus on that. And then all of a sudden there's another pretty girl standing in the right and they stop focusing on the one that was interested and they go to the next one. And then they, that one starts to get a little bit interested and then there's another one and they go to that one. I think people do this in business too much. They start to develop a customer base or a community and that community starts to get a little bit vested and like, OK, got them. No more focusing on them. No more catering to them. I got to go get someone else now. I got to make sure I'm scaling and growing. And then they jump to another community or they jump to another customer mm-hmm. Lauren and I have been very intentional or intentional about catering directly to the community that's already there and making sure that we're servicing them as best we can at all times because what they end up doing and this is you know business 101 is word of mouth right they go and say hey I'm part of this amazing community this content's so great I really respond well to it the, the The hosts are always getting us what we need and they go and share with their friends who share with their friends who share with their so they almost become the marketers themselves and i think so many businesses struggle with this concept because they start to get somebody kind of on the hook or a customer kind of into what they're doing and then they think that they don't need to cater to that person anymore and they jump to the next where if you just continue to double down and continue to serve that community you already have they're going to do the work for you and scale your business way faster than you can scale it yourself. Yeah, no, look, you
0: bring up a really good point, Michael, around focus. I'm curious, um, when it comes to the talent that you guys work with, how do you know and identify talent and the next you know, show? Because you said that it sounds like um, obviously you do the interviews with Skinny Confidential. And then that's kind of like your beacon, and then you you look at the analytics. But is it more than that? Like I'd love to know because um, it's not easy to to find that next kind of up and comer, up and coming creator, something, someone that people really connect with. So I'd love to hear a little bit more of the inner workings there.
1: Yeah, and Lauren, feel free to jump in. But you know that is definitely something that i think um is tricky right like i think there is something where you have to have an inherent eye to recognize when somebody's a talent and i also think distinguishing between when somebody's a host and when somebody's a guest we've you know had a lot of people on this show and some of them make phenomenal guests but they don't necessarily make the best hosts i think the best podcast hosts are the ones that are inherently very curious they're not necessarily solely focused on themselves they want to learn and know about other people Um, I also think that they are able to carry a conversation, not only on a mic, but on camera. They have to kind of have that thing. And also I think now more than ever, you have to have some kind of expertise or perspective. right? Like when Lauren and I started, it was a little more broad, right? And I'm sure when you started too, you could kind of talk about a lot of different things. I think coming into this space now as competitive as it is, you have to have a point of view. You have to have some kind of expertise or perspective that doesn't already exist. Um, it scares me, like I said earlier, when people come and say I'm the next Joe Rogan or the next caller daddy or the next skinny confidential, whatever it is, because I always tell them like that already exists and it's already phenomenal. Right. Like how I want you to be the next and only you uh when I'm signing you. So, you know, we have an advantage where we have so many shows now and we have so much inbound of people coming and guessing on the shows. But yeah, it is it's challenging to pick out like Who's that person that's gonna carry a show? Who's got the grit that's gonna stick around and and not just do it for two or three months, but they're gonna actually carry it for a while um, as it gets hard. Um, But I think, you know, we've gotten good at doing it. When I say we, it's not just me anymore, right? Like I've built a phenomenal team of women and men that are really good at identifying what they're looking for. And the last thing I'll say is, again, catering to the audience, we're looking all the time saying, What do you want to hear more of? Is it a finance show? Is there a creator you're really fired up about? Sometimes we'll approach somebody that doesn't even think they want to do a podcast because people on the network are saying like, hey, really wish so-and-so would have a show. And we'll approach them and say, what if we created this for you? Um, So it's entrepreneurial like that.
2: Another thing, if you want to get into this space, I think... You have to really re- refine the reason and intention of why you're getting into it. If you're getting into this space to make money, it's not the right space. And I said this about blogging 13 years ago, too. If that's
1: the only reason,
2: if that's, of course, making money is great. Yes. If that's the main reason that you are wanting to launch a podcast is to monetize, I would say go back to the drawing board and, and redefine your intention. Um, you know with blogging i remember everyone was jumping in but like people were like why am i not making money after 6 months that's not how it works like i said i didn't make money for 3 years we didn't make money with our podcast for how long 2
1: 2 years minimum you know, and then when we started making money in the 3rd year it was it was not i mean we it, it was still very much a side hustle don't quit your day job type thing
2: right and so it's like you you really have to refine the intention of why you're getting into the space to begin with and if it's just for money this is not this is not a get rich quick scheme
0: when I remember when I explored it with some like big SaaS companies, even if you get, you know, 10, 20,000 downloads an episode, which is like the top 0.01%, like you don't make much money. Like you have to build something incredibly massive to be able to make it work from a monetization perspective. So um, I really resonate with that. I'm, I'm curious around your guy's strike rate. Like, you know, if someone for looking from the outside, you've got over a hundred shows now in your network, like, and you're working with so much, so many different uh, you know, talent. What kind of strike rate do you have? Can you, can you share that around like just for a gauge?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think we do a good job of, and we've, we've learned this over the years in the beginning, you know, like, unfortunately, like not everyone worked. Um, and again, like that, you know, we came in and we had some great success. I I think we realized that not everybody was going to kind of hit that stride as quickly, but we also, you know, had spent a lot of time in the space and saw kind of those diamonds in the rough, saw the people that maybe weren't being represented right, weren't being positioned right. We're able to take them and say, okay, like let's do right by you and and monetize your show. Um, In addition to that, now, I mean, we have parameters, obviously as a network at scale, we say, okay, Most likely, you're coming with some kind of pre-existing brand. Most likely, you have some kind of perspective or authority. We also, because we're such a large network, know that we can position and give lift to shows. So, you know, you mentioned there's so many podcasts. Now, the good thing about coming to a platform like Dear Media is whenever we sign a new show, all of the listeners on all of the shows see, hey, there's a new show. There's probably a reason we selected that show so we can give them a pretty significant lift right away just because the audience already lives here. But yeah, it doesn't always work out. I don't know the exact percentage. We've gotten better over the years at saying, okay, if we're signing them and producing the show and putting them on the network, there's probably a good chance that we already have done a lot of due diligence and firmly believe that there's going to be, you know, a success here. Um, but when it doesn't work out, you know, we, you know, we have to part ways, or we have to, you know, kind of sit down with the talent and say, hey, you know, this is not a successful endeavor for either of us. Um, but it's not a lack of trying.
0: And what happens, like. When it doesn't work out, I'm curious um, because sometimes, you know, working with talent, you, you, you boost them up and then uh, they don't need you anymore, right? How do you navigate that?
1: Yeah, so I think, so here's the other thing. Because Lauren and I, I guess, wear the talent hat sometimes and i am taking my executive hat off. I always, when I think of Dear Media... I always think of the company, we have to be a value add to whatever the talent's doing. We have to be in a position where we're bringing them something so valuable and either it's monetization or investment or attaching to an IP or whether it's production or content, whatever it is, there has to be a reason why they would consider working with us. It's not like, hey, we want to sign you and take a bunch of your ad revenue because you're already successful. No, we need to either add more, um, grow the show more, create a new opportunity. So we're always, that's, that's the mindset I'm coming into any partnership and so typically like we have a very very high retention rate. Most people stay with us. They want to they want to continue to sign. They you know want to bring their shows here. They want us to be in produc- in production and partnership with them for a long time because we're we're doing that and we built this company to service talent in that way because it's what Lauren and I wanted. When it doesn't work, I mean, you know, it's a competitive world out there. Uh, we try to take a very professional approach and really sit down and say, "Here's what we're seeing on the analytics. Here's what the effort's been. Here's what we've done." Like maybe sometimes it's our fault if we misjudged and said we thought the audience would like this kind of show and they didn't. Sometimes maybe it's on the talent side if they're not putting in the effort or they're just you know, not doing what it, what it takes to put into the, the work to put in the show. But fortunately, like I said, we're doing a lot of due diligence up front to say, is this a good fit? Do we think there's a win here? Can we support this in the right way? Are we bringing a, a new opportunity to the table that doesn't already exist? Um, and because of that, I think we're in a great position. I think that's why we have so many shows.
0: I'm curious around, you talked about audience first, really focusing on the community, the brand. You guys didn't do this for money, but you've done an incredible job of like on the commerce side too. Like what was that first product and when did you launch it and how did you
2: know it was the right time? For Skinny Confidential, we launched our first product a year ago and it was something that stemmed from the blog. So I got horrific jaw surgery where I was put under for 10 hours and they broke my entire face. And I was told that I would be swollen for like a month and I was swollen for three years. So I became a practitioner of swelling and I really discussed facial swelling on the blog all the time. And I noticed that my community was like obsessed with it because people wake up swollen all the time. You're hungover, you have puffy eyes, you go on a plane, you get puffy. People are puffy and no one was talking about being puffy. And so I started really diving into how to deal with inflammation and swelling. And from there, I started talking about a $10 Amazon ice roller that was changing my life. And the sales from it, like Michael said, you can see the back end. I'm talking to my audience were like wild. It was like the top selling product on the blog. And I found a lot of pain points in it as a creator and, and a practitioner of swelling. I found all these things that I wanted to do differently. So I was like, okay, there's a need for this product. Let's do it. Let's do it better. And let's make one for the community. So it took four years to manufacture this ice roller. It's like the ice roller on crack. It's freezing cold. Guys love it. Grandmas love it. Dogs love it. Like it's just, it's, it's everything you want to wake up to because it freezes the shit out of your face and makes you just tight and gets rid of the puff. So that was the first product we launched. And the reason I tell that backstory is because there was so much content marketing that went into that and there was so much, there was a reason why I launched it. And there was also a, a big factor was I didn't just white label something again to sell it. I made sure that the community was involved in everything from the texture to the box to the packaging. Um, and I think that that, that, that strategy has, has worked well to be able to involve the audience
0: yeah. Four, four years is a long time.
2: I know I had to go back and forth. You're telling me it was back and forth and well, back.
1: and I forth. I think the reason like, you know, even if you look at that, I mean, the skinny confidential brand stands on its own, even outside of dear media, you know, as a very successful endeavor. And it's because I think so many creators, podcasters, people that get into this landscape, they make a mistake where they like, okay, I have an audience now, now I need to just serve them anything. Let me white label something. Let me just do you know, a merch, let me attach to something that already exists. There's no real thought. It's just like, I need to monetize. I need to get my own product. Um, If the focus again is on, you know, the community, what they're asking from you, you can create something unique way, really spend some time developing it. Then I think you can build a really authentic, incredible commerce brand. Hey guys, I hope you're
0: enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business And you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast, From Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in the trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. And how did you guys involve the community? I'd love to know more and delve a little deeper here because this is fascinating. Like Four years to launch an e-commerce product, like that's a long time.
2: It was definitely a long time because I, at the time the blog was like, you know, six years in or seven years in. And it was like, I can't just give them something to, to sell. It had to be right. And so the first step was identifying that the ice roller was one of the number one sellers on my site. And the second step was that it wasn't working how I wanted it to work. And girls were messaging me saying theirs were broken and they didn't want to roll plastic on their face and all these different things. So it was essentially like I had this target group to talk to every single day. From there, I launched a Facebook group that grew to 60,000 women. And I was able to go into that group and actually ask them for their opinion. And I could do polls and I could show pictures of things I was doing and they gave me feedback. So by the time it launched, it was like they were, they had helped build the product. So there was like a very, um, purposeful, meaningful connection to the product and I think that it's done so well over the last year because it one, it really works. And two, it's, it feels like something that they were involved in from the start. Yep,
1: And the reason, you know, it took some time, it wasn't just because we needed to develop that one product. We also, you know, we're talking about what else they would potentially want. You know, she's got a, a, one of the first ever female facial razor. She, she created the actual first female facial shaving cream. Right. So going through and saying like, what else would you want and building this lifestyle and kind of, um, ritual routine brand and and doing it with the feedback of what they would want and where the pain points were. Like there's obviously other ice rollers that existed and other razors and some of the other products we have coming down, there's different versions, but people aren't happy with them. So, and I think the same thing with Dear Media, right? Like there was other networks and other podcast platforms, but people weren't happy with them. It wasn't servicing either the creators or the communities in the right way. So I think that's a, you know, a real tip for aspiring entrepreneurs or founders is like, you don't always have to create this new shiny thing, you could take something that exists and just really improve the hell out of it and make it better and and make it more fit for, you know, a modern age. I think you see that all the time. Now you see it in household cleaning supplies, you see it in baby stuff. You see it, every category now is being disrupted by people and big companies that haven't been able to pivot and move. Um, with the new new landscape and the new world that we all live in.
2: And I think that's what Michael and I try to be as disruptors in all the spaces that we've gone into the blog. I was a disruption. It was different because people wanted, it was like a resource as opposed to all about me, the podcast. We try to disrupt that with him and her perspective where we're having taboo conversations in a non-judgmental way. Same with the product. It's like, how can we disrupt this industry? I think we try to always look at it through that lens.
0: Yeah, no, look, um, you're, you guys have something special around your execution. All the stories you've told me, execution's been on point. I'm curious what well, things haven't
1: gone right.
2: Where do you want to start? How, you, you have more than 20 minutes. A lot of stuff hasn't gone
1: right. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think a lot of founders, especially now in this position, they get on and they, they, they share the highlight reel, like we talked about a little bit offline. They say like, hey, here's the great thing. But, you know, they're there's been so much. I had an agency in 2015, completely crash and burn, almost put me under. You know, I started in real estate in 2008. Talk about the wrong year to start in real estate. Um, you know, Lauren built a, an online platform that was highly reliant on the way she looked and the way she was presenting and then had her face broken for three years. That was like a huge, obviously, disruption and downtime, especially if you're someone who's putting yourself on camera regularly, right? like it was a very challenging thing at the time to go through when your whole life's turned over. Um, when we started the podcast, people like, you know, we're actually getting ready to create this video highlight reel, which I think a lot, it's going to inspire a lot of people because we were carrying suitcases and jumping on commercial flights and flying to people that were like, why would I come on the podcast? What you do, wires and shit hanging out all over the subway and all over everywhere, you know, me showing up a little Zoom recorder to people's offices and homes. So, you know, like it hasn't been an easy road. And also in addition to that, people forget that we started the podcast while we were running multiple other businesses and we started it in LA when we were living in San Diego. So there was multiple nights when we would get in the car together at 10 o'clock at night, drive up to LA, all asleep, do the show, drive back to San Diego. We did that for years um, and making no money, right? So having the, the grit to stick with it, even when you're not monetizing, even when people are like, what's this medium? Why would you do it? A lot of no's. Um, you know bootstrapped to your media with no funding all the way to series a so like it's been it's been a journey but um i think that the light of the tunnel of any entrepreneur or any aspiring founders listening is that like those are the years that i think we appreciate the most and where we grew the most I'm like now it's you know it's nice and it's great to have a scalable entity but I wouldn't trade those kind of like growth headache years for anything.
2: Also, you know, we don't work together on a daily basis because he has dear media and I have the skinny confidential, but, but podcasting with your husband, when you start off doing it in your closet for two years is it's not butterflies and rainbows. It's, I want to kill you. It's going to bed talking about QuickBooks at 1130 at night. It's not romantic or glamorous. So I think there was a lot of sacrifice on, on that end too. I think I always say that it's like, so challenging to work with your husband in this capacity but it's also so rewarding and it is and i think that's the same way the business goes it's like it's so challenging on so many different micro levels but it is rewarding at the end of the day if you can get that execution right
1: i also i also think like and then i'll shut up but lauren and i never ever thought like there was never a moment ever that we thought oh we're going to quit or we're not going to produce the show like it was that wasn't ever an option. And, there, and it was almost like this thing where if you we made a decision that no matter what, we were going to produce a weekly show for a minimum of X years every week, no matter who's listening to them, how it's growing. And I think like, because we made that decision, it was really kind of easy to stick with it because we made a commitment saying like, okay, we're doing this regardless of the commercial success and no matter how hard it is. Mm. And do you guys ever get
0: bored with the consistency and being on that kind of content hamster wheel does it ever feel like a grind
2: if i get bored like say we're having guests that are too similar for me i'll go out and just fucking shock the audience so like an example of that would be like we were having too many wellness gurus on and it was getting like i was like no this is boring and i don't if i'm bored i want to make i want to like make sure that we shake it up so we're like let's go to the bunny ranch and interview the, do you know what the bunny ranch is? Do you know what the bunny ranch is?
1: Uh, hey. The bunny ranch is a legal brothel here in America. So I just want to So
2: we're like, let's go to the biggest legal brothel in in the United States and let's interview the head bunny in the room that she performs her sexual acts in. And so we flew out there with like Zoom recordings and interviewed her. And then then if if I ever get bored with the content, I'll go and I'll read a book on something so random and I'll go in someone's DMS that has a hundred followers that wrote the book and ask them to come on and just shock the audience with this like random story. So I think where it can also get boring too, is if you have celebrity, um, people who are coming in to promote a book, I listen, have your book. Great. I, I have a book, I have a book, but don't sit there and tell me why I should buy your book. It's, it's, not, it's not compelling, it's not interesting. I wanna know your story. And when they bring their PR people in and they, they give you talking points, like that doesn't work for us. So I get bored if the content is not, um, is, is not flamboyant.
1: Well, this goes back to the beginning, right? When I said we would do this for free and we enjoy the medium and it's not even about the commercial success, right? Like the reason we chose this medium, I think this is important for any creator or any entrepreneur, if you don't truly enjoy what you're working on, what you're doing, what you're creating at a, you know, at least at a, like a medium fundamental level. Um, and when I say medium, like the medium you chose, then yeah, you're going to struggle as it starts to get hard. Right. And what we did is we said, okay, we really enjoy meeting all sorts of different people. We're never going to get tired of talking to interesting people. If we ever get to that place, like there's a, there's a bigger problem. And with that, we've also taken our show and, and shown our audience that, you know, maybe one day it's a finance expert, maybe it's an entrepreneur, maybe one day you're gonna get the wellness. But every once in a while there's gonna be a legal sex worker, right? And every once in a while we're gonna go into a, a subject that you may not think we're gonna go into, and that keeps it fresh for everybody, right? Like that's where I think we're kind of known as this bag of tricks where you never kind of know what you're gonna get. We, we talk about our show like Checks Mix, right? You're reaching and one day you think you're gonna pretzel and all of a sudden it's a wafer. You're like, what the hell was that? But um it keeps it interesting, not only for us, but I think the people listening and it never gets redundant where sometimes some of these more formatted um, shows are people that think they're going to stick to a formula. Like, yeah, that's hard to continue to carry forward year after year after year.
0: Mm, That was gold. Thank you for sharing. I love that. A couple more questions, conscious of your time, then we'll work towards wrapping up. I'm just really curious around this patience piece. Like the fact that you guys have been building, you know, Skinny Confidential and for so long you didn't launch an e-commerce product um, and that patience, I know you said product development was four years, but still like you guys have been so incredibly patient and disciplined on when to look to kind of monetize and, and, and commercialize your, your brand assets. Where's that come from? Where, Like, because so many other creators or founders would be so quick to kind of like, yeah, I'm building this. Bang, let's go. You know what I mean? Like, it's so tempting. You know what I mean? Like, how have you guys been able to manage that? I'm just really curious.
1: I'll let Lauren take this first, but I'll say one thing first. Um, it hasn't always been that way, right? And I think it's important to point that out. And I and I feel like, unfortunately, patience is a lesson best learned by being impatient, which I was definitely guilty of earlier in my career, and. You know so many people learn this the hard way because again you go make mistakes because you're being impatient so for me i'll just caveat that we've been able to or i've been able to be patient here because i was not patient in previous businesses i'll, I'll elaborate more but Lauren could maybe jump in and talk about how she's been patient
2: i have been patient i think because when i launched this brand in college i knew i wanted to build a brand and i knew that didn't happen overnight and i think if you know you wanna build a brand, you really have to be a visionary and look down the line. So like I see the Skinny Confidential going on for who knows, 30 years, whatever it is. And that is not gonna happen with the snap of my fingers. I try to really, really see the long-term situation. And I feel like I have so much more to do when I haven't even nicked my potential. And that that keeps me going and it keeps me patient because the potential that I want to hit is going to take a long time.
1: My personal theory here on patience, and and you know, I'm a just just to say this, I'm a huge believer and really hard on people about getting out there and executing. You know, people come to me and say, "Oh, I want to start a business. What do I do?" I've been thinking about this. I'm like, "Go, launch fast and adjust." I've I've said that eighty thousand times on the show. Lauren and I are extreme executors, micro speed execution, but also macro patience. So I could say, "Hey, we want to build." The premier you know female marketplace in audio and I want it to be the largest in the space over 10 years. But then I can also say I want to move really fast on signing premium talent in the next three months to my team so. I don't want to get it confused by people thinking like patience means you have all the time in the world, you still have to execute rapidly and quickly and and move with the market, but. The way you have staying power and the way you don't get off course is by having long-term vision and knowing that something is that, that's going to be great isn't going to happen overnight, right? It could take three, four, five, seven, 10, 15, 20 years. If you look at anything that's been great, it's, it's mostly taking that time. So it's a it's a view on being patient in the long run and impatient in the short run, if that makes sense.
2: Reading autobiographies and biographies really helps to of incredibly successful people because you can see in all their autobiographies, how long it takes to build something that as that is great, like Michael said. Well,
1: if you're thinking to yourself, hey, I have a lifetime to build a phenomenal business and brand, that takes a lot of pressure off your shoulders because you're you're measuring it on your lifetime. If you tell yourself, I have six months or two years to build a $100 million business, well, guess what? When you don't do that in six months or two years, you're going to be highly discouraged and you're probably going to quit. So I think it's also being realistic and balancing some of that macro patience with micro speed.
0: Last question, and then we'll move to the rapid fire. Um, what's next? What's exciting for you guys? You talk about, you know, patience. You talk about taking the time. Like, what what are you guys excited about? What's next?
2: We are super passionate as a couple, as in, in investing in, in brands that we want to not only promote, but also run through the dear media network. So we're looking at brands that really get their community. Um, as far as skinny confidential, another book is coming. Um, a baby is coming. I'm about to pop. I'm literally like nine and a half months pregnant and then definitely more, Product that will fit into your routine so in your mornings and in your nights seamlessly fit into the routine that um i think that the audience will really love and they'll be involved in curating
1: on the dear media side yeah i mean we're going to continue to add the right talent and the right shows as they make sense also you're going to start to see we just launched our first you know fiction kind of series called bone mary berry Um, we launched a limited series before that called summer of gold we have a handful of projects coming out in the kind of like limited narrative fiction space which will be very exciting and as lauren mentioned i think a lot of people don't realize this but dear media is not only an incubator of brands like the skinny confidential and rumor play and a few others but we're a strategic investor and in i think 11 or 12 businesses now that we've run through the machine and starting to take a heavier hand in businesses that we're incubating launching that makes sense for the audiences that we've built across the channels um i never want to limit dear media to just being an audio network. The reason I talk about it as a marketplace is that I think it can do much more than just create audio content. It could incubate brands. It can launch new formats. You maybe could see us in television soon, um, streaming all sorts of different products. So yeah, I mean, an incredible platform that we're fortunate to be part of. And I, and I think we're going to start doing a lot more with it.
2: And you're in our future because when you come to LA, you have to come on, on the podcast. So you're <laughs> going to be a guest.
0: Awesome. You know, I look forward to it. No, it's, it's super impressive what you guys have done. Um, so, look, going to move to the rapid fire hot seat. Uh, the first question that I want to ask is if you could go back in time and go back to the first day that you guys were in business. Um, and you give yourself one piece of advice, what would it be and why? I'd
1: love to hear from you both.
2: For me personally, this is not blanket advice, but for me, don't go to college. It's a waste of time and money.
1: For me, it would be definitely don't chase short-term money, right? There was, there was times in my career where I chased things that, you know, and I hope a lot of the young people listen to this, like anything that sounds too good to be true is probably too good to be true. When is
0: work
2: fulfilling? When I'm creating.
1: I think work's fulfilling when it's not just about yourself, when you can provide you know, some kind of value, whether that's to the team you're working with, to the person that you're, you know, that's consuming your content or buying your product, like, that's fulfilling. I, I think work has to be a two-way street. Yes, you, know, you should be rewarded for your hard work, but at the same time, like, you should be putting something out into the world that's valuable and helping others. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given?
2: I've been thinking about this a lot during meditating, and I think it's probably to have a flexible mind.
1: I got one. I mean, listen, we've heard so many great things. My dad told me a long time ago, and Lord, might laugh. He said, son, the coyotes howl and the caravan keeps moving, which means don't worry about what they say. <laughs> Who's your dream podcast guest? Oh my God. Mine's, mine are weird. I want to. I, I mean, they're not living anymore. If That's I could, okay. if I could go back and interview some of these, you know, people. Like, if I could interview Genghis Khan, if I could interview Napoleon, if I could interview some of these characters that just did wild. I mean, listen, we're talking about building a podcast company here and a beauty brand, which is impressive. But some of these people that lived in times past, they con- you know, they conquered worlds, and um, I just think getting in the minds of people like that that lived during those times would be absolutely incredible. Obviously, I'm not gonna be able to do that.
2: I'm going to say something predictable, but I just think it would be so major to interview her. Kris Jenner. I, I want to know, I want to know the puppeteering that goes on behind the scenes. Oh,
1: you said puppeteering. Now you're never going to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's a good one. Um, what's
0: something that you've learned today?
2: Having space to be introspective is the most important tool when it comes to business. If you cannot sit by yourself and be quiet and think it's going to be a lot harder to have clarity. I've built in the last year, I've been meditating for 20 minutes every day and I have built out my business for the next 10 years through that meditation. So it's been a really great tool for me.
1: I think I've learned over the years doing this show, a lot of empathy for people. And we live in a time now when obviously it's very divisive and people are at each other's throats having so many conversations, 500 or so, has made me realize that everybody has their perspective for a reason, whether it's their upbringing, their parents, the the place they grew up in, their financial well-being, all of these things. And most of these people don't have a perspective trying to harm people. They have that perspective because of all these experiences. And if we could sit back and listen more and understand at least why somebody came to the conclusions they came to or the thoughts they came to, we'd be in a much better place as a population. Um, Because like I said, we're not all that different. We just have different experiences and we come to our conclusions in different ways.
0: Last question. If you could have dinner with any entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be and why?
2: Charlie Munger.
1: Oh, you went with Charlie?
2: And Warren Buffett, if I'm going to be greedy. Um, I know, like, listen, a lot of the people, like,
1: there's the big names, but I think Naval Ravikant would be extremely oh, that's a good
2: one. fascinating. Ah, oh, he just—he um, you upped mine. That's a good one.
1: But you know, he's Charlie's a big inspiration of his and many others. But I think the way that guy's mind works, I think he's really figured out how to be successful in business and in life. Yeah, he's been able to have astronomical financial business success while at the same time seeming to be well grounded, happy. Um, you know healthy all peaceful too peaceful so yeah i think that would be a very interesting person to sit down and, and
2: maybe and he from. could teach you how to meditate
1: yeah i um i heard
0: about Naval before he he blew up on twitter we had a we have a mutual friend and uh yeah i'd love to interview him too or speak to him he's awesome
2: he would be great on your podcast
0: yeah i agree awesome well look uh thank you so much for your time guys we'll wrap there but uh this was a ton of fun you guys were awesome and uh Yeah. Look forward to connecting next time I'm in LA and coming on your show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Please
1: come on. If we can ever be helpful um, with anything you're doing, please let us know. Really enjoyed the conversation.
0: Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business